baby when we're making love I can't stop thinking about all the suffering caused by the housing crisis so I need a little more love to take the pain away Ow! No silly babies looking for someone to love of satirical impressions by Trevor Bastard, CEO of Granny Mugger Media. First, Tony Blair. Hey, I'm Tony Blair. Yeah, man, I got the sexual magnetism of a goddamn polar bear. Yeah. You want me to sort you out? You want me to represent your autocracy, baby? I'm high as hell and I'm ready to help you, because I'm Tony Blair. And now, Trevor Bastard's Chukarumuna. Let me explain it to you in bloody simple terms that you might bloody well understand. Yeah, it's time for a football analogy. You like football, do you? Well, listen to this. Corbin has lined up a 25-yard free kick and accidentally gone at it with his bloody elbow like a fucking cunt. And I... Oh, you, Jesus Christ, I just can't bloody believe it! Finally, Trevor Bastard presents Jerry Adams. I couldn't believe the bloody allegations I was in the IRA. I mean, I've never been a member of the IRA and anyone who, who says that's a, a bloody troublemaker and a... Just trying to cause, you know, a lot of bother. Because I've never been in the IRA. For God's sake. Bloody ridiculous. Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And, of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, What's Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are. in the you know, ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party Samuel, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left wing position, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, the 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 hard left, 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 hard Hi everyone, welcome to the Real Politic Podcast. Today we have two, not just one, two, that's one more numbers than one, two very special (laughs) guests. We have Joe Kennedy, author of the excellent Repeater Books book, Authenticrats, <laughs> which we will be discussing in hopefully some degree of depth today. And at Joe's request, he is joined by CEO of the international conglomerate, Granny Mugger Media, a, <laughs> somebody whose dulcet tones you may know from the hit single sex dream (laughs) and uh of course somebody deeply involved in grassroots football it is twitter's own trevor bastard hello hello (laughs) it's a pleasure to be here so first off i want to say sorry joe i know i i just gave the sort of additional guest here a sort of better introduction than i did you 
and I apologise. It's kind of how we work. <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe is also the author of a, a book that puts forth a kind of Marxist analysis of football called Games Without Frontiers, and he's written for numerous excellent publications such as New Socialist. That's one of the excellent ones. There's some quite bad ones as well. <laughs> and and and, uh, and others. Yes, yeah, sorry. I, 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 I think I was displaying uh, my own bias towards New Socialist there. Various publications which have, have rejected me subsequently <laughs> as well, or I've been disowned from. Um, <laughs> and joining political us... Political crimes are getting things wrong. <laughs> and joining us today from... Um, Fuck, briefly forgot what part of America you From Montana, Georgia, my friend, <laughs> Yair Rice, co-host of Real Politics Podcast. Yes, that's right. I'm here again. Hi, guys. Glad to be here. Montana, Georgia. Montana, Georgia. Who <laughs> to Georgia, Montana? Oh, fuck. Yeah, know. sorry. Savannah's in Georgia, isn't it? Mon- <laughs> uh, you're, in, you're in somewhere in the state of Montana. I'm in. Right. I'm yeah. in Kalispell, Montana. Oh, yeah, pretty much right up near Canada. It's it's great. So those listening who are interested in uh, murdering Yair, there's a, a little clue there. <laughs> I go to Georgia. It, it's a small valley. Come get me. I I got plenty of knives. <laughs> <laughs> That's like ten times as far away from where I am as I've ever been, I think. There we go, there's, there's my little uh, snippet of authenticity for the evening. That's cool, speaking of someone in Montana, that's exciting. Um, so, long-time listeners of Real Politic may, even if they haven't read any of Joe's stuff, they might be familiar with his concept, non-linear warfare, which we've discussed in depth on the show, I believe, in our episodes with Juliet Jakes and Hugh Lemmy. And I thought the non-linear warfare, which was just the kind of... Well, I think I will say it because it will hurt their feelings, but the sort of uh, the Putin-style techniques of the moderate centre in, in the UK in, you know, sowing confusion and discord in the minds of their opponents. And Joe wrote a very good summary of that on his blog and then subsequently elaborated on those ideas in New Socialist. And also we've discussed Authentocrats, his book from earlier this year, on the podcast before. For example, when I uh, picked up my copy of Authentocrats, I noticed I had the corners of two pages folded, and I, I, I looked to see what they were, and uh, they were the bits about Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to remind me where the bits about Oasis are. Well, good job I've still got the corners folded. Hang That's on. good, because my copy's over there, and I'm not, not going across the room. <laughs> uh, it was, well, it so was in um, the context of Oh, wait, that bit's not about Oasis. All right, but this bit is. You know, you, you talk about Noel Gallagher's infamous visit to number 10. Oh, of course, yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I believe you quote a critique of Britpop and its kind of its musical conservatism and the parochialism of some of the ideas. Did you get the idea of coca colonization? into authentocrats i don't think i did no because that was damon alban's phrase for the slightly like parochial anti-american sentiments within um, Mm -hmm. the the Britpop scene it wasn't that america was you know the big imperial behemoth that uh leftists might see it as but the consumer culture was polluting and corrupting our authentic british culture in a manner comparable to colonialism (laughs) Um, yeah (laughs) yeah i I think i got that from richard power saeed's 1997 the future that never happened but um yeah that sounds right yeah you do engage in a similar kind of critique of cool britannia and Britpop in authentocrats don't you yeah probably different bits because because like you uh, i'm quite a fan of early period oasis anyway i think i think trevor might agree with that as well but i think that oasis were probably the band who least bothered me i mean we can if we want to talk about Britpop at some point down the line in this discussion we could talk about what I don't fully cover in the book, which is why Pulp are the worst Britpop band. But, oh, um, wow, I'm interested to hear that, because I, I mean, I don't particularly <laughs> dislike them, but I've never got into Pulp, so I'd be happy to see that mm. kind of sacred cow slaughtered. Taken from cows in the south and taken from cows in the north. They're the we, band. Can do, we can do that, can't we? Because they are, to my mind, 
if you want to understand, well, if anyone really does want to understand what I was getting at with orthodoxy, it was much closer to a pulp fan than an Oasis fan, if, uh, uh, if that's, that's uh, a good teaser. Yeah, I'm going to ask you in a little bit about what you see as the flaws in the centrist dad and the gammon archetypes that we see in British yeah, political Yeah, I really discourse. want to get into that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> I've been... Um, that was almost the first note that I took because it seems integral to your thesis. But first of all, I was thinking, do you want to basically explain from the top for our listeners, just give them a sort of vague idea of what authentocracy is? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Buy the book, guys. Come on, lazy fuckers. Um, I feel like I've done this on quite a lot of, of podcasts recently, and every time I say something different, and now I have my able assistant here with me, maybe he could explain what it means, because I think that the concept was cooked in our DMs. So maybe Trevor can have a crack. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it's like when people claim they've never had a cappuccino before. <laughs> this is bearing in mind the fact that Eminem opens that freestyle by saying, I'm going to drop some coffee on Donald Trump. That's quite a middle class thing to drop on him, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not really, it doesn't sort of speak of the, you know, the what back streets of Detroit. <laughs> uh, you've you got kind of two levels. And I think when we first cooked it up, it was at a sort of more basic level of sort of identifying what's kind of like an almost timeless thing of richer people appealing to a sort of a sense of poor authenticity through sort of fluffy consumer choice kind of things. They'll never actually give up their degree of comfort to actually embody this supposed authenticity. This is so much better than the book, by the way. <laughs> but um, what, um, <laughs> where Joe goes with it in the book is it's concentrating on a sort of recent development in the kind of centrist or centre-left adopting of, as, as he said on Twitter today, and didn't say it as well as, as this in the book. It's not about Rod Liddle, you know, chatting complete shit about what the honest working class man thinks. It's about people who probably should know better here at the centre rather than Liddle's sort of virtually neo-Nazi politics. Or or, Uh, kind of maybe more significantly, who build their whole public persona around knowing better. So people who've kind of founded a whole identity or created a brand image on hating Trump and hating Brexit and hating Nigel Farage and thinking they're all cockwombles and so on have also kind of cleaved towards the politics they espouse in many ways. <laughs> and they've done this in, in this kind of strangely triangulatory way because they think that by coming closer to those politics, they'll also get further away from them. It's really bad dialectics, uh, yeah, I think. It reminds me of a couple of episodes back, Tom and I watched Ed Balls' Travels in Trump Land. And at I one can point... bear bring myself <laughs> up to. Ed Balls is saying... How, how was that? Oh, it's dreadful. Ed Balls is saying something like, uh, you know, I agree with Trump, but we should have strong controls on immigration to keep our borders Mm. safe. And just kind of pulling these crocodile tears as some guy like gets literally deported in front of him. He was dealing drugs and he was illegal and he had an order for removal. And in the end, I'm afraid most people will say, I feel really bad about his kids and I'm really sad he's lost his American dream. But on that basis... He was illegal and he blew it. Now, it doesn't take away the human pain and the suffering for him and his kids. I mean, that's just tragic. But on the other hand, break the rules. I agree. America does need a strong stance on immigration to stop illegals. But my worry is Trump's rhetoric is making all migrants feel illegal. And then I saw that series praised by one of the first politicians to appear in Authentocrats, Graham Jones. Graham (laughs) Iranian Hangman Jones. He says, you know, instead of just dismissing Trump's support as racist, you know, we need to listen to these legitimate concerns. And as you outline in your book, the legitimate concerns that Balls and Jones are paying heed to are um, not economic ones, shall we say. They're not class-based. It's uh, They all seem to be about... Quote, cultural. Quote, yeah, cultural. Defence and security, especially. Mm. But Jones is kind of an outlier now, isn't he? I, I think that he was an easy way into the argument of the book. I, I keep on thinking this. I look at what I did at the beginning of the book and talk about Owen Smith and Graham Jones, one of whom is a 
risable figure for one set of reasons and the other is risable for another set of reasons. But Smith and Jones, Smith is probably closer to what I was getting at really than Jones, mm. who just provides that kind of useful statement. But if you look at Jones's politics, he's he's actually an old, a, a kind of traditional figure in a way, a figure who we've seen forever, really, which is someone whose politics are basically very right wing, but in the Labour Party. I, I don't know if he is per se or kind of out of this particular context, he is what I would call an authentocrat because he believes this stuff, I think. For a start, I mean, and he's also in that kind of crucial sort of mini segment of right-wing Labour leavers as well, isn't he? I, I think has he kind of gone in that direction with them? Um... He doesn't oppose Brexit. He's certainly not one of them. I mean, I don't know if he backed Leave in 2015, but I mean, I've got a book about the Blair era that features an interview with Graham Jones, and he is described in that as neither Blairite nor left-wing. So I think he's always been kind of socially conservative Labour. Right. Mm-hmm. The most authenticratic thing I'd say I'd seen Graham Jones say is in his infamous shit fit at Owen Jones, uh, no relation, a couple of Christmases back, when he called Owen an Iranian hangman for opposing Saudi <laughs> bombardment of Yemen, which is something I like to relive virtually every day. Yeah, n- not Iranian hangman. Owen Jones is multiple Iranian hangmen. But anyway, he said that for his stance on the Saudi bombardment of Yemen, that Owen Jones was so out of touch with real working class people Mm. like me, my mates and friends. I remember mates and friends, yeah. So it was a classic, wasn't it? Um, Of course he said that. And and yes, that's what people are doing in every house across Britain at the moment. Uh, uh, What about his chums? I'm I'm curious. Chums is kind of... Oh, an authenticrat wouldn't say chums, I don't think. Is that not British enough? Chums has a certain upper class... Yeah. uh, it's upper class, okay. It's more, is it upper class? I think if it has been from the pages of like the Beano or something, um, <laughs> I think there's something quite nice about it actually. Chums. I've never kind of, thought about it. <laughs> chums and mates are always pluralised in the Beano. So you see Dennis the Menace yeah. referring to come on mates, which obviously no one really speaks like, but I think it's, I think it's nice. I reckon Centrist has written a book about the quote-unquote chumocracy. There's the bluff op one that James Ball has just written and then there's there's got to be because you know that's the kind of critique that a centrist can make about society without yeah, getting yeah, too into class that they're like oh look at these people they're all chums with each other so I've, mm. I reckon that's a phrase I can't think of anyone who said it but I'm certain that chumocracy is a thing I think the minute it's like the kind of inverse of the, the fairies in Peter Pan isn't it? the minute you think of some absolutely daft ass kind of centrist literary project that you think couldn't possibly happen it'll happen (laughs) (laughs) i guess let's talk about some of the ideas that are in authentocrats then so rather than just kind of talking about labor mps even though Mm. there, there are maybe a few we could cover should we first to actually give people a better idea maybe of what authentocracy is play the authentocracy or authentocracy game As long as I don't have to say the second word, it sounds like a tongue. <laughs> um. All right, all right, here we go. Comrades, welcome people, to people of the world, who all tune into yes. Real Politics. Welcome to the game show portion of the episode. <laughs> Trevor Bastard said, "Put some music here." Hello, welcome to Authentocrat or Authento Not. This this is a special game in which we test the author of the acclaimed book Authentocrats, Joe Kennedy, on whether things are authentocracy or not. And uh, <laughs> if if Joe gets really stuck, he is allowed to phone a friend, by which I mean ask his <laughs> pal Trevor Bastard for his advice on the matter. Does he also get a 50-50? Uh... No. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> I'm saying a 50-50 would be a bit obvious. <laughs> and here is another authenticating claim is that about 17, 18 years ago, I, I used to work at a Toys R Us uh, in the Christmas staff. And uh, I remember I worked in Toys R Us in the year where the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire board game was the big selling product. <laughs> oh, wow. Shelves upon shelves, both out in the front and in the stock room of, uh, of Chris Tarrant's smiling face. <laughs> uh, it makes me think it makes me think that maybe the, the next book I really want to write might not be on the early 90s but maybe on the immediate millennium I don't know if I'll get around to it but I would, yeah, I would like, like to write about that period in which who wants to be a millionaire was the you know, absolute apex of British culture <laughs> anyway that's, um, very aspirational eh it was, it was yeah it made everyone feel like they could be a millionaire um, <laughs> the one person who I, wants to be a millionaire um, who everybody <laughs> the first person who won the million on it the major no 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 the person who won it without cheating all right related to the queen like, <laughs> oh, like, like semi-distantly and like one of the questions was about the royal family that's fucking oh. real, that's, mate. that's <laughs> another establishment <laughs> yeah. fit society <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire winner who wasn't the cheap truther this is what you want okay Anyway, so the game shows are back again, baby, and they're good again. Wolf Howl. What does he win? What does he win? I don't know. Milk. No, I don't have to win Fabulous anything. prizes. Yeah, yeah. Mail him some of your legal weed if he wins. You know, help, <laughs> help, help the worries of fatherhood. A fat sack of piff. There you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Example one. Or question. Fuck. Whatever, I don't, I, I've never hosted a game show before, apart from where, <laughs> when, when we've done Corporal Comrade on, uh, on, on this show, which this yeah. is kind of like. Okay, so this is a tweet from BBC Question Time from the 3rd of May 2018. They say, our second question tonight... I'm going to go on to a topic which affects a lot of people here... ...is on housing. You may be wondering, what are they asking about housing? What will it be? Will it be about house building? Will it be about, you know, affordable rents? Actually... The question is, is housing ownership within the reach of younger people if they ditch takeaway coffee and avocado toast? And obviously, it affects a large number of young people in this audience. Is housing ownership within the reach of younger people if they ditch takeaway coffees and avocado toast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it is a little bit. Only a little bit. Only a little bit, yeah. I, I think that maybe what that is, as much as anything else, is a kind of glib stupidity. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is from the BBC, right? Yeah. It's more an indictment of where the BBC are at at the moment. It's kind of caught some of the wind of orthodoxy, if you like, but it, at, at the same time, it is more just a kind of really bluntly unquestioning approach to the serious issue, which they think is going to play well amongst part of their audience. It's not the most pernicious case, perhaps. Question time appears in the book, doesn't it? And you it does, yeah. talk about their attempt to appeal to a kind of authenticratic demographic. I've got to say, I commend your restraint in not saying gammon anywhere in the book. I yeah. don't know if the term had been popularised at that <laughs> You reference something. I forget where it is. You reference gammon without mentioning gammon. <laughs> allude to gammon. Yeah, I f- that's, you know, you allude very to people whose faces are like a certain meat or something like that. <laughs> Much think, better put. I think I said an, an irate shade of puce. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah. <laughs> and the phrase you use instead is the nine Yorkshiremen of the apocalypse. Which I like very much, yeah. And especially because it ties in with your considerations of the aesthetics of authentocracy. For instance, the way that a kind of proto-authentocracy is represented in Monty Python's Four Yorkshiremen sketch. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to tell the young people of today that? And they won't believe you. No, they won't. Will you try and tell Owen Jones that today? And he won't believe you. No. 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 I feel that the question time thing is interesting. So, well, there's a bit in the book, because I I figure we can use these individual examples of maybe authentocracy to have little explorations of... I reckon that's a a good approach, actually. Yeah, It's like a podcast episode Trevor and I did where we used the fake questions from a fake robot. It wasn't a fake robot. It was a real Soviet supercomputer. Russia. That we had liberated and reprogrammed to ask... (laughs) 
counterfactual questions about football. It was funny how you could reprogram it using this speech software that we found on the internet on the <laughs> pretty <laughs> broken Mac in your kitchen. It's something that I can reprogram a Soviet supercomputer, but my wife has to log me into Skype. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, here's what you say in the book about the audience of the BBC Question Time yeah, special okay. during the election. I'll read this and then, you know, see if you've got any more thoughts on this. Are you telling him he's wrong? Are you telling him that his, his answer to the quiz question was wrong? And are you explaining why? Yeah, know. maybe, actually. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, Mr. Kennedy, you say that this is not authenticity, <laughs> but in your book here, you state that... <laughs> no, anyway, that... Sorry, Mr. Marx, you're wrong about Marxism. This was an entirely different Question Time episode, to be fair. However, <laughs> I think the two things together do indicate an authenticrat tendency in Question Time. Okay, mm. so... What Joe writes about the famous Question Time special during the election where nine pretty much identical, very angry, red-faced right-wing men all started yelling at Corbyn about how some, quote-unquote, some idiot in Iran was going to fire a nuclear bomb at Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Would you you use it as second use? Or would you allow North Korea or some idiot in Iran to bomb us and then say, oh, we better start talking. You'd be too late. No, of You're course not. You're going to have not. to do it first, mate. No, of course, of course not. Of course I would not do that. Well, well, you would what? allow them to do it. Of course not. Because well, that, is, that is why I made the point a short time ago about the need for President Obama's agreement with Iran to be upheld. It's quite important, actually and also to promote disarmament in Korea. That is difficult, I appreciate, but... Impossible. Well... (laughs) Impossible. All right, you you decide what they're trying to do. Joe's (laughs) interpretation of this is, put starkly, the BBC, aware that Theresa May would be in the line of fire for austerity, chose to counterweigh a progressive argument against the economic immiseration of millions, against cuts to public services and welfare that by any reasonable assessment are ruining and even ending lives, by cultivating an anti-Corbyn block in the studio, which would assail him on the grounds of his queasiness about killing millions of people in a totally hypothetical con- uh, conflict. I just laughed at my own joke there, sorry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. It's a perfectly good joke. But you think that there was a kind of conscious picking of these people to counterweigh what might be seen as a fluffy, pacifistic, Corbynite attitude that the BBC authentocrats would have seen as unrepresentative of the population something like that or i think that they need to keep a certain group of people on side which is part of the kind of great centrist triangulating project but when i saw that episode i think i watched it the morning after it was on and my wife had already watched it and she'd kind of forewarned me of what it was going to be like so i, I was kind of prepped and kind of cowering in front of the computer but i always made this qualification i was born in county durham but i'm from north yorkshire i grew up in north yorkshire and i knew those people i didn't literally know them as individuals but i knew exactly what kind of people we were looking at and we weren't looking at you know whatever Matthew Goodwin wants to call the working people of Britain we're looking at small business owners we're looking at well-off people who sit at the end of bars and in village pubs wearing Ralph Lauren shirts tucked into their waistbands and pontificating offensively and and, you know I've seen those people so many times in my life and this could only be I think a kind of London-based audience selectors concept of what the real people of Britain look like it's to do with at its heart what I was talking about in the book or in those sections of the book certainly have to do with geography was this notion that we and whatever that collective we means is obscure we need to pay more attention to the people of the regions but actually in doing so we end up not paying any attention to them at all so yeah so that's what we're getting at interesting shuffling noises there sorry but there's some interesting shuffling or killing noises going yeah. on there that's what meant that i didn't hear what you said <laughs> in fact for shuffling <laughs> who's shuffling <laughs> Okay. It's a mystery. Should we... What is that? Someone's rubbing themselves against the microphone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man. (laughs) Not it. (laughs) This is why we don't let you host the show. We do let him host the show. Despite the rubbing. (laughs) So let's, let's dig out another potential example of authentocracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
there it is again. This is, this time it's a couple of Labour MPs chatting on Twitter. Well, a Labour MP and a former Labour MP. The authenticity piles up, it's from during the World Cup. So, Michael Duggar, former MP and current shitposter, wrote, I'm so nervous, I've done the dusting. Hashtag, it's coming home. Hashtag three lions, England flag emoji, fingers crossed emoji. And then another MP, well, a current MP called Angela Smith, who you may know as the person on the Labour benches who most tenaciously represents the interests of the private water lobby. (laughs) She replied to Duggar saying, It is being said to me that it is impossible to believe that Duggar would do the dusting. And then she posts a shocked-looking emoji and three England flag emojis. So, (laughs) is there possibly a bit of authenticity going on here, in that the sort of Michael Duggar is such an authentic, salt-of-the-earth bloke that he has a reputation amongst his friends and colleagues and ideological allies for not cleaning? Yeah, not doing any housework. Yes, that is. That's more straightforwardly so. It's, it's got it all, hasn't it? Like, I'm such a big football fan. Me, Mickey. <laughs> I never do the dusting and pop when I'm nervous. Who dusts when they're nervous? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you're just inhaling the dust, like, oh, maybe there'll be a bit gear in here. <laughs> it'll take the edge off things. And then Angela Smith, obviously. I think the three England flag emojis in a row are, are an excellent touch. The noted witch, Quentin Chris. <laughs> one said, one said uh, he doesn't do any dusting because after three years it doesn't get any worse. <laughs> it takes three years. If, if he hasn't dusted for more than three years, if he hasn't been nervous for more than three years, then there is no point in doing it. That's what I <laughs> across. You just give me a really tragic image of Michael Duggar's house. No. <laughs> just uh, dust and like... I, I just remember my previous Quentin Chris reference was before the show started. So, yeah. well, you can maybe bring that one back at the end. Can you talk about Michael Duggar's photographs of curries he's made, please? <laughs> yeah, I'm just picturing Actually, Duggar's house at the moment of just like dusty cast CDs and a Shed 7 vinyl framed on the wall hanging slightly ajar. Fucking ready meal curry receptacles just all over the... No, no. He makes curries. He makes curries and posts photographs of the curries he's made. But they look really horrible. <laughs> yeah, they look terrible. <laughs> Is um, that authenticity? Because curries are kind I of... I don't know if it's... Making shit curries. Uh, I think there's a thing that's going on. Vindaloo with... kind of, you know... Well, no, not so much that, Mom. I, I, I don't know. They just look like the meat hasn't been cooked for very long. And, and it looks like the spices might be burned. Then he posts one as an uh, example of his work on Fast Credentials. And it is full of king prawns, which, unless you live in warmer climates, are quite an expensive item to get. <laughs> Yeah, I, I reckon of being in the mosh pit at a Sheb 7 gig probably it costs a little bit as well. You know, I reckon being in the centre of the action at such an in-demand live event. Well, mm. Could we talk about that? Because I was going to say that about the, there is a category of, of Labour MPs who now have started to wear this naffness on their sleeves a little bit, or ex-Labour MPs in, in Mickey Duggar's case, but I'm trying to remember who was in the elect who got to go to the Shed 7 gig. I think Stella it was Greasy Wes, was it? I'm not sure about Wes. Wes is pretty too young for the Shed 7, isn't it? Well, no, it's... Uh... I know that the I mean, journalist and shit poster Kevin Schofield was there. And I think him and Duggar are like cigar smoking buddies. There's like, there's a picture of... Oh, it might be Kevin Schofield with... They they all went with a Tory MP. I can't remember her name, but I think there's Kevin Schofield and the Tory MP just blowing away on these big-ass cigars. And so that's where this thing of whenever I mention Kevin Schofield's name, I play a little clip of Linville Thompson's I Love Marijuana. I love to smoke marijuana. 
because Kevin's <laughs> smoking away what looks like an enormous blunt in his profile picture on Twitter. If you look at those people, I, I don't... Again, this is where it all gets a little bit muddy because I don't think that they are kind of really wedded to any cultural idea particularly. I think that actually they're just sort of a-cultural to the extent <laughs> that one can ever really be that and then kind of taking a certain pride in it. I remember what the people who were in student labour uh, when I was an undergraduate and obviously this is in the kind of dog days of labour as a kind of intellectual movement and they were tended to be the kind of people who had three CDs. I know that some people like to kind of conjure this image of the centrist dad as this mojo reading Beatles obsessive. I think that's totally wrong. I think that some of the people they're talking about are just people who don't really take an interest but the, the kind of people one of the sort of 80s nostalgia nights and, and talk about how, how kind of amusingly cheesy everything is well people who kind of get invested in the idea of guilty pleasures despite having no unguilty pleasures that sort of thing if, if that makes any <laughs> sense at all it's a sort of different cup of tea from the, the real hardcore authenticrats i think some of whom are the kinds of people who can sort of name every craftwork bootleg that's ever been released or you know, big four fans as well you know yeah, that was what I was mm. going to bring up with you, actually, because you do kind of pick a hole in the centrist dad archetype, which is there is this kind of idea of them just being a bunch of sort of painfully unfashionable dad rockers, effectively. I don't understand how this confusion began. I, I, well, I, I know the article that kind of brought it into being, and it, it wasn't a very precise one, and, and I think it was written to capitalise on something for a paycheck, <laughs> if we're being perfectly honest. And there's all these ideas about kind of leather jackets and new cars, and I was thinking, this is totally, totally, totally unbelievably wrong. And insofar as I ever want to kind of perpetuate the stereotype, I don't even think centrist dad is a very useful term. The term I've been using a lot recently is Peloton Liberal um, to describe (laughs) cycling is obviously precisely not a bad thing particularly at this sort of disastrous historical juncture but at at the same time Liberal is I'm not going to take us down the path of why I am actually a liberal. But uh... oh yeah, no, no, sorry. Tom Gann has explained this to me, Joe. But I, I think I think you're the good kind of liberal. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm looking for some support from Trevor here. I'm sure self <laughs> liberal I, I, as well. I think myself as a liberal who doesn't believe the nonsense about property rights. No, yeah, I, don't I believe the truth. That's what it, Oasis it, warned. It's also open-minded about imprisoning people. For... <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, I've got really solid liberal credentials. Yeah, I I don't think this is probably the time or space to talk about Marx as a a great liberal thinker, is it? So to kind of wind wind back to the original thing, I I think what we're talking about is probably people who are younger than the stereotype that was initially put out there. I started to see these people emerging around 2015. In fact, that was when we started talking about this cliche, wasn't it? Or or not this cliche, but this set of cliches that people who were maybe sort of five, six, seven years older than us had started to fall back on. Even before Corbyn, it was around the time of the 2015 general election that we saw some fairly horrendous arguments advanced for voting for Ed Miliband. And we looked at the people who were doing it, and it was always these kind of people who had been really invested in hipness, in a way. Maybe hipness is a wrong term, but in knowing about stuff, in connoisseurship. The people who we knew of at the beginning of the archetype were really connoisseurial people. They had good or at least interesting taste in literature and, and music, you know, but they, they kind of had a, a pattern. There are people who sit down and watch every day of the Tour de France and get really excited about it, and this is going to sound weirdly authenticratic, tend to hate the British cyclists. They get really into the Spanish ones for some reason, because this is the proper way of doing it, and they like what music they like. American Old Country, that was always a, a big one amongst the people I saw. May the wind take your troubles away May the wind take your troubles away Stereo Lab, and this, you know, a lot of this is stuff I like. I don't really like cycling, I don't really understand the mania for it, but I do like Stereo Lab, and I do like Fall, and I do like Neuer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, like, you know, I think of a lot of these centrist ads, as as you say, they do have a slightly more sophisticated palette than the cliche would go, and quite often they like some stuff that is quite good. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I think this cliche person not only has good taste, but like, in, like they kind of have better taste than me. <laughs> that's almost like that's the first has become in my head the first sort of warning sign. <laughs> yeah. They know more than me about something or other. You um, do have deliberately and hyperbolically awful taste, though, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I refuse su- suggestions that I've gone down the last decade's irony route. <laughs> I, I, I like things. I like, <laughs> I like things. You do, you know. Is this because I got heavier into a vlog of seagulls than Prattwood? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel really bad about saying that now and I don't feel like I can adequately repent in the format of a podcast it's not true <laughs> Trevor has got really good taste or he takes his bad taste and makes good art out of it So the way you summed up this argument in a Twitter thread was, uh, let me read it, hang on, um, Trevor Bastard has really shit taste, he is a dickhead, wait, hang on, that's not Trevor, (laughs) what, no, no, sorry, what I was going to say is, you say you think the archetypal centrist dad loved Chris Morris and Chemical Underground, not Oasis and Men Behaving Badly, Uh, and I I replied to this at the time, agree with this, Joe, in fact, I'd go so far as to say that my love of Oasis is easily my most left-wing belief. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about Chris Morris, I think, rings true, because there's a good couple of what I'd describe as danger melts off of Twitter. <laughs> who are, um, oh, so uh, do we want to talk about these people? Embittered <laughs> middle-aged men. Uh, I'll just name one of them for now. But y- you know the type, the elephant... The spoon, not the publication. The spoon, as in the the, the weird, the weird successful news aggregator. <laughs> yes. About <laughs> um, the spoon, we talk because nobody talks about the spoon enough, and nobody talks about bright blue enough. We should talk about that. That would be good. But you can get, talk about the other spoon first. Yeah, let, let's put that on hold for now. But that kind of whole spooner elephant falcon malteser axis and all these people are complete nobodies so let's not (laughs) dwell on them for too long but they do all have the supple tastes that joe talks about being integral to the centrist dad i mean falcon malteser a long time poster on cooked and bombed the chris morris fan forum that's how i came to think of this but you've also got other examples of this such as andrew spooner's insistence that he used to be some kind of squat dwelling situationist a narco situationist he's got some kind of extremely pretentious description for his ideology that isn't a a thing but yeah like i say that's definitely more he's read a couple of will self articles where guy debord gets mentioned and he's like oh this guy is very cool and countercultural." Mm-hmm. or maybe he's even read debord himself who knows he does well, that's what i like you know what well, that's what i was suspecting this is what i find interesting i, I feel like there's a kind of rearguard interesting and frustrating there's a kind of rearguard action by these people who realize that their hegemony over stuff that is good might be slipping there's stuff that's good and interesting and, and it might be being kind of taken away by people who are well, I try to remember the LCD sound system lyric, but it's about being taken away by people younger than you, isn't it? That, you know, that, that is the kind of centrist that it's the narrator from uh, Losing My Age by LCD sound system, enumerating all the good records he has and worrying that he's no longer relevant. That's much closer than this kind of weird idea of someone buying a new car and having a leather jacket and a bad haircut. What I find interesting about the Chris Morris stuff is, I mean, Chris Morris is probably the major influence on my attempts at comedy. Yeah, but you've got better than Hi there, Uh, I'm a freelance video editor who Streatham Rovers hired to produce video compilations for their Go of the Month competition. Uh, However, they've weaseled out of paying me, and uh, they said I should just do it for the exposure. Now, I'm assuming they've just uploaded this without checking the content, in which case, please sit back and uh, enjoy this compilation of Robocop shooting rapists in the dick. I have, I, you know, there is this weird kind of person who thinks Chris Morris just mastered it and there's no point in building upon it. So, you know, what Brass I did in 1997, much like what Tony Blair did in 1997, is just, you know... <laughs> And, end all and, <laughs> the end of, and yeah, I mean, Cooked and Bombed is a bit of a cesspit of a forum. My wife used to use it regularly, and I've met some weird people as a result. <laughs> 
So, yeah, the hero worshipping of Chris Morris. Don't do it. And just... a sometime Chris Morris collaborator as well, who worked on the 2001 Brass Eye Pedophilia special and then later co wrote Nathan Barley with him. It's become one of the uh, figures of authentocracy, uh, well, of the authentocratic approach to comedy slash satire. And that's, of course, mm. Charlie Brooker. Yeah, I don't yeah. Even really know what Charlie Brooker's politics are because I pay as little attention to him as possible because I've, I've got the <laughs> sense about seven or eight years ago that he just kind of fallen in some weird loop of sort of irate table bashing moralizing till then go away which kind of all, always managed to swerve any penetrative question about why things were acting like they were but yeah he was definitely one of the people who seemed to look at the way britain was maybe 10 12 years ago and point the finger at the symptoms rather than the causes it's a kind of symptomania, isn't it? That was very appealing for a set of people who were maybe hitting their late 30s at the time. Yeah. And were going, oh, yeah, you know, like, I, I can spot all of these things around and they confuse me. I'm not undergoing the same age transition myself at the moment. And, and I stunningly and unpredictably have friends who aren't into detailed cultural studies discussions and who would call themselves broadly, I suppose, left wing or centre left, who I see doing the same things and they'll be out for a drink with a mate and they'll start talking about avocados or something and I have to go yeah, the reason that you need to <laughs> shut up now and then realize, but I sound completely bizarre but that's what happened with all those people isn't it Morris was a gift to them because what he was doing was telling them that young people were stupid <laughs> Now we're reaching that age, who's going to tell us that the young people are stupid? <laughs> I don't know, you want to do it. <laughs> I, I don't, you know. If the young people in question are uh, our future, our choice, I'll happily say over and over again <laughs> that they're fucking stupid. <laughs> if you do it, Trevor, if you do it, you could maybe, within like 12 months, you could get at least two spots in one year on Mock the Week. Just think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There is quite an opportunity to sell out, I think. <laughs> in, in, in this given time with the whole yeah. <laughs> thing, the Brexit thing, you know, there must be people just desperate for some sort of Daily Mail weekend supplement interview or someone who's like, oh, I used to be left wing, but now I realise that, you know, we shouldn't be allowed to have pets and mental accommodation. And people <laughs> 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 shouldn't have rights, blah, blah, blah. Or used in manifesto too which is just 20 pages of why pets in rented accommodation are bad <laughs> <laughs> and they tear the wallpaper it just reminds me of luke akehurst the russians list of things he supports do we have to talk about the paper, it includes like asbos and the council remembering <laughs> to sweep up his street or something just the, some incredibly like petty parochialism <laughs> on that list alongside the obvious ones like blair the iraq war you know the united states of america i don't understand how such a fundamentally pissant person became so significant and such an obsession for so many intelligent people really I, I just yeah i'm not sure either he's a very old-fashioned person isn't he he's, he's like the sort of uncool uptight Tory character comedy trope which Joe kind of kills off and says is no longer relevant hasn't been relevant for 30 or 40 years in, in the book Luke's but like, determined okay, to prove him wrong yeah he, he's kind of exists it's incredible that's the impression I got from his blog post where he just reels off all the abuse he's got. Pre-Corbyn <laughs> abuse, by the way. People were abusing Luke online and in person and in respectable publications long before Jeremy Corbyn ever reared his head. It's like previous decades. It's from before, like, student protests and stuff. Yeah. Like, sort of like this current UNEFT thing came into existence. Like, he was <laughs> just getting people foul-mouthing him online before that, which is quite remarkable. Yeah. I, I'm honestly happy to live in live in, in that particular case I, I feel a certain aloofness towards him but I, I don't understand so people some people are so fixated I believe that 2017 Labour conference were a lot of momentum delegates running around kind of whispering into each other's ears about Acre's plots and it's this way in which his, his name his surname has almost become an adjective for some people no, it's only Luke Acre's who cares <laughs> chill out you know is he the one who bought a house in the Oxford constituency that was going to have a MP who's probably going to retire soon oh, and he bought yeah. it before 2015 and now of course there's no way that seat would have a figure from the Labour right as a candidate oh, that, that sounds like one of Blackadder's plans doesn't it yeah it's a Rotten Borough <laughs> yeah. episode yeah a Rotten Borough <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A Rotten Borough, sir, is a constituency where the owner of the land corruptly controls both the voters and the MP. Good. 
Yes. And a robber button is... Could we leave that for another? <laughs> Down near the world, there's a tuppenny halfpenny place. Half an acre of sodden marshland in the Suffolk Fens with an empty town hall on it. Population, three rather mangy cows, a dachshund named Colin, <laughs> and a small hen in its late 40s. <laughs> so, no people at all, then, apart from Colin. Colin is a dog. <laughs> Only one actual person lives there, and he is the voter. Well, right, so what's the plan? We must buy Dunny on the world at once, and thus control the voter. I shall need a thousand pounds. Thousand pounds? I thought you said it was a tuppenny halfpenny place. <laughs> well, yes, sir, the land will cost tuppence halfpenny, but there are many other factors to be considered. Stamp duty, window tax, <laughs> swamp insurance... <laughs> He probably did. It sounds entirely plausible. It's the nearest thing he's got to a plot. Who cares? It's local councillors. Do you remember when you were a kid and someone said, his dad's a local councillor, you wouldn't say, oh, that's really interesting. Let's talk about them for ages. You'd say, who gives a fuck? I don't remember. (laughs) Actually, Luke Akehurst, according to his own blog, was once described as the shittest person in Labour local government. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, if anything, he he was a remarkable (laughs) councillor. There's reason to, you know, pick him out from the crowd. Anyway, I wanted to say about Charlie Brooker that I think there's something you mention in the dialectics of banter, possibly the best chapter of this book. I think it might be in the chapter afterwards, actually, the Brighton one, the getting the sea one. I was thinking of Charlie Brooker, how there was this sort of idea, you know, terrorists, they're a bunch of cunts. Mm. He, he would criticise, as you say in the book, actually, I found the page, neocon bullshit. But at the same time, he thought that the kind of radical approach to, like, whenever there was a terrorist attack was to, like, publish a piece like, these people are cockwombles, you know, or, or mm. something like cunts or dickheads <laughs> that's, like, a bit yeah. more hard-hitting. But just the idea that to call these people cunts... I remember at some point, because I, I think I said to you a while back, Joe, that Brooker was an influence on me. And I've been conscious of that recently and trying to shake that out of my writing because, you know, it was seen by many, including younger me, the same guy who, you know, used rock and roll star as a Skype address as a kind of a (laughs) sort of left wing common sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually remember literally myself writing an article at some point, which, among other things, like saying, yeah, I do think that the West military interventions cause terrorism. I did also make sure to uh, have a little paragraph in there calling them cunts. So, basically, yeah, I think that the influence of Brooker has resonated. And I think regarding your question about what his actual politics are, it may have been, you know, BBC balance, but I don't think he's particularly pro-Corbyn, because in his 2016... What's he called them? He does his review of the year, anyway. He was very critical of Corbyn. He talked about the 2016 leadership race. He'd been critical of Corbyn the year before as well. But then he talked about the 2016 leadership race, and instead of touching on any of the numerous hilarious gaffes made by Owen Smith, he talked about the train gate thing that has now been completely debunked. Yeah. Many of his own MPs felt hard-left Corbyn had actually been soft remain, thereby helping the right and the Leave campaign, which they believed wasn't right. So they started to leave left, right and centre. And as more of them left, the more he remained, saying staying was his right, which left the left in a right state. Following a vote of no confidence, it was Labour's turn to have a leadership contest, and the Tetchy Grand Morph was up against Owen Smith, a man so dull he made Ed Miliband look like David Miliband. But if Anton Deck proved tricky, public transport was even trickier. Yes, during a fact-finding mission to Newcastle, during which he hoped to find out who Anton Deck are, Corbyn ran into trouble when he found himself confronted by far fewer seats than expected, which you'd think he'd be used to by now. In heart-rending scenes, he was forced to sit on the floor in the twisty bit that stinks of bog and make a convincingly spontaneous statement. Today, this train is completely ram-packed. The reality is, there's not enough trains. We need more of them. But his sit-down protest soon led to a stand-up row and a bemused reaction from Sky News. Now, this is a bit weird, a row is developing over claims made by Jeremy Corbyn that a train service he used between London and Newcastle was ram-packed. Yes, Virgin Trains released CCTV footage showing there were actually no rams on board the train, and not only that, Corbyn had apparently walked past several empty seats in order to make his point. In the end, even Traingate couldn't derail Corbyn. Eventually, when the vote was tallied, Owen Smith was soundly defeated. He now looks set to spend the rest of his political career toiling in irrelevance and complete obscurity alongside Jeremy Corbyn.
is that satire, really? It's so fucking trivial, <laughs> you know? Well, no, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? I was thinking earlier when I knew I was doing this tonight, I was thinking about how the kind of right-wing tendencies of satire over the entirety of history, really, and I was thinking that many, if not the vast majority of, of the funniest satirists have been political conservatives, whether that, you know, if you're going to choose a Roman satirist, you're going to choose Juvenal, who was funny as fuck. He was just really nasty and right-wing. Like, Swift is incredibly funny and a conservative at times. But these guys, they're not even funny. <laughs> they're not even funny anymore. But I find myself falling into this almost Swiftian pattern of thinking when I look at the kind of success of or the kind of prominence of some of the centrists. And I think these people have been presented as the smartest of the smart, as kind of fantastically and almost implausibly intelligent and gifted. And they, they're not at all. They just have a way of kind of accenting the word wankers, which makes them sound important. <laughs> I find it so frustrating. And yet it's such an untouchable subject in the broader media because there is a closed circle. There's no space to write a critique in, in The Guardian or to talk on the BBC about this failure of modern comedy, for example. Modern comedy is in an absolutely terrible place. It's rubbish. Again, it's been totally swerved around by Trevor Bastard. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, people who are kind of weirding comedy up and finding ways of doing it without, you know, needing to have a specific target or victim of aggression or, or nasty. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm trying to appeal to the kids or whatever, but you know, pe- people are spending more time laughing at Drill nowadays, aren't they, than they are laughing at Darren O'Brien or something. Yeah, it's, it's a certain kind of comedy which is much more intelligent because much weirder. Well, I was listening to the New Statesman podcast earlier and Helen Lewis and Stephen Bush were quoting Drill tweets. I can start sending money to, like, you know, the Ku Klux Klan if I want. They still aren't going to invite me to their tea parties. I am not a member. I also do not send money to the cake. I think you should probably clarify yeah. that at this point. Um, the other a thing that I thought you... on my previous <laughs> remarks about the group, the KKK, yeah. you do not under any <laughs> circumstances. circumstances. Gotta hand it to them. <laughs> we can't just start quoting drill tweets on the podcast. That um, would be bad. And I, uh, I, I, I felt my soul like crawl out of my ass and die in the corner. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because like those are people who have their tweets screenshotted and posted alongside drill tweets. Yeah. yeah. Like, they've probably done hundreds of tweets that have been compared to the drink driving tweet. Someone did that to you the other day, didn't they? Did they? <laughs> I'm sure they did, didn't they? One of Trevor's accounts. <laughs> One of us. How? There's so many. I don't even know. My 54 accounts. I think it was, it was somebody who perhaps had, hadn't understood that it wasn't a real football club. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. They did do that, yeah. yeah. When I said, um, oh, God, that really awful thing about some cafe decided they should um, do some gingerbread men of Cristiano Ronaldo raping someone. You know, I basically did a version of the drill tweet. And then someone replied, with the drill tweet. With the drill tweet. To that. <laughs> Owen Jones got some homophobic abuse earlier from some guy with a some guy on twitter called enoch powell with an enoch powell (laughs) avi so i was like probably not even the real enoch powell sad and some fucking idiot responded like yeah 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 you know actually it's definitely not the uh real enoch powell because he died uh, 20 years ago i'm like i fucking know why why would i oh my god again this is to to lead it back once more um but it's this mindset isn't it this kind of cliched version of cleverness which dominates comedy (laughs) tv drama writing writing about literature in the newspaper all these things might be about publishing and this is actually to loop it back again this is for me what authentocracy was it was these people who were trying to kind of cleverly totter any aspiration towards anything ever being better you know you, you know, it can never be better things are just naturally all quite bad you're not clever enough to understand this so what we need is a load of books about uh, about wild swimming or some kind of really boring cultural shift towards a kind of blue laborist cultural shift towards writing about these tedious subjects in this moralising, quasi-religious tone, which started to happen maybe seven or eight years ago and, and actually came from a good place. It probably actually began in a good place, but were mass-produced into a bad one.
It's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.